Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts, Natalie Kavorik, a rancher and pharmacist from Nebraska. And Tara Vanderdusen, a dairy farmer and environmental scientist from New Mexico. And together we bring you our professional farming opinions on a variety of trending topics in the ag and food space, so you can better understand our food system and feel connected to the hands that feed us. Welcome to 87 of Discover Ag, brought to you in part by Case IH. To the men and women at Case IH, farming is a way of life, a life they live every day on millions of acres across North America. Get to know the farmers who work at Case IH and see how they bring that perspective into everything Case IH does. Visit builtbyfarmers.com to see their stories and even share your own. Built by Farmers, Case IH, a proud sponsor of Discover Ag podcast. All right, you guys, this is possibly one of the most unique episodes of Discover Ag we have recorded yet, because as you are about to find out, it is not our favorite New Mexico milkmaid that is co-hosting with me today. It is none other than my better half, Mr. Lucas Kaborik. Say hello to the discos, dear. Hi. (laughs) Okay, so Tara's actually in Rome right now. Loser. Luke. She got a really, really cool opportunity to represent uh, the dairy industry over there, as well as like women in agriculture. And we're actually going to fill you guys all in. We're recording something that's a little unique for us. We're going to do a personal episode where we sit down and answer some questions you guys have submitted to us over on social media. And Tara's going to fill us in with Rome. And so that'll be a lot of fun. But she has a really full agenda. So instead of trying to make that work with the time difference, we thought, why not just bring on the knowledge of my dear husband? Are you nervous? Uh, yeah, I guess. Kind of. I don't know. I've never really been on a podcast before. So, And you've never listened to ours. I listened for like five minutes once. Yeah. So maybe you wouldn't be nervous if you had a better yeah. understanding yeah. of what we do. Yeah, I, I really like what you do, though. It's really good. <laughs> Thank you. You are really good about just blind support. <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, so today's articles you actually picked. I sent you four or five of them and just said, which, you know, which are you most interested in? And so you picked today's articles. I did. And then you text me back and said, you know, these are the three I want to do. And then about 15 minutes later, you text and said, so I should read these articles then? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I was like, yeah, probably a good start again. And went off the headline. And maybe uh, read the articles and listen to the, you know, any past episodes to, to properly prepare and do your homework. Yeah. And there's probably never been a person on a podcast that has never fully listened to a single podcast, but I am. Besides the first person that did the first podcast. so Well, I'm a little nervous because you have, I would say, big shoes to fill, but Tara has tiny feet. So I'm you not, have yeah. tiny, powerful feet to fill. You know, it's going to be, there, I'm going to say, probably 10% of the words <laughs> that Tara says. Well, that's not but good because that means I have to speak 90% more. No, and no. I don't know if anyone I, wants that. I still think the content will be uh, fine. I, I think we'll... I think we'll still, it'll still be a full episode with less words. It will. It will be an interesting episode because we're actually both slightly sleep deprived as well. Slightly. Our children (laughs) will not weather Jax or Rue. Luckily, Tad doesn't come into our room at night, but if it's not one, it's the other. We cannot get our children to just sleep fully through the night on their own in their own rooms. No. Uh, yeah. It's usually people like to sleep at home, but for us, hotel rooms yeah. really get the best sleep. <laughs> uh, and speaking of that, I have been busy as well, which has not helped with our schedule. And you are also busy. You, May is a unique month for us as a couple, a family, a ranch, because it is AI season. It is AI season. When Natalie and I 
first got married, I said, don't schedule anything in the month of May. And every single May, she continues to schedule things that I don't understand why. Not a May has gone by that I have not scheduled. Don't do anything. Just stop. Uh, but again, blind support. I came to you and was like, so I really wanted, Tara and I were in Austin. You guys know about that. I was recently in Fort Worth for a really cool event that Ranch Water did for their collaboration with Yellowstone. And it was before the ACM Awards. And it was kind of a women's trailblazing event. And you fully supported me heading down for that. And then I'm going to the PBR next weekend because May is such a good month. I thought you said that it works. I don't have a comment. (laughs) All right. Well, we will uh, dive into the articles that we have for you guys today that Luke picked. Before we do that, we want to highlight our sponsor, Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is an American meat delivered, and they have been changing the way people buy meat since 2018. One reason why Tara and I both love ordering Good Ranchers online is that they are 100% American. All of their meat is born, raised, and harvested here in the U.S., which makes it really reassuring to know that when you place an order with Good Ranchers, you are supporting American farmers and ranchers. We also love that they price lock your rate in for two years, so it's kind of like inflation-proof meat. Um, And at every box purchase, Good Ranchers donates 10 meals to families in need. With summer right around the corner, this is the perfect time of year to change the way you buy meat. Head to GoodRanchers.com and use our code DISCOVER for $30 off any box. That is GoodRanchers.com, code DISCOVER. I will say that's actually pretty good stuff. When I uh, I see the box show up on the step, I, I take it in right away, so... Do you want to say anything about summer grilling season around the corner? You're a big griller. Well, I am a big griller. I love grilling. Mm-hmm. I enjoy grilling mm-hmm. in peace and quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. No, just, I don't know. Yeah. That's it. It's fun. Yeah, you do like when Good Rancher shows up. Yeah. And I even got you to the Good Rancher's chicken, which chicken is your least favorite animal protein by far. Yes, it should be everybody's. <laughs> But you like good ranchers chicken. Yes. Boneless, skinless chicken. Breast. Yeah. They yes. do a really good, nice yes. job. Their breasts are very nice, very yes. clean. Yes. They're good. Luke gives the good ranchers stamp of approval. But their beef's better. Mm. They did. They You were pretty excited when those. Yes. Steaks. Ta- what was yeah. they? T-bones? T-bones. Yeah. They yeah. were good. You were like, you were very excited actually. Um, all right. Moving into our first article title, Kentucky Cattle Scheme with 78,000 Ghost Cattle Unravels. A fraudulent cattle scheme in Kentucky has been exposed, revealing the existence of 78,000 ghost cattle that were never actually raised or sold. This is, uh, from my understanding, and I've heard, you know, read the article and then also heard just uh, the talk within the within the cattle industry. And this rancher, last name is McLean, I want to say. It's in the article. Um, he was from Kentucky, and he was... Uh, had a feed yard in Kentucky and he had a feed yard in Texas and he would buy cattle for like uh, cutting events or raining horse events or things like that. And they were huge events in Texas and they would um, use those cattle. He would have like the people they're putting the event on. He would sell them the cattle. They would use the cattle for the event and then they, they would place the cattle in the feed yard and they kept doing this and people were getting these crazy returns, these 20 and 30% returns on their money finishing these cattle. And so they just, more and more people started investing in this pool and he just kept purchasing more and more cattle and supposedly placing them. And it just continued like a classic Ponzi scheme for 
I think over a decade. Yeah, it said it was a six-year-old scheme. A six-year-old scheme. And it, it just broke. So the USDA's Agriculture Marketing Service, the AMS, notified basically everyone that has uh, sold livestock to or not receive, and not received payment from this individual to file dealer trust claims. So... There, yeah, there's some protections in with like uh, Packers and Stockyard Act and and different um, things like that that are supposed to protect people against things like this. I don't know where they will get all of the money at. I'm sure that there's assets with his some of his holdings and his feed yards. But he ended up committing suicide once once they came into the main feed yard and started looking for cattle. The the guy that did this scheme committed suicide, and so now his family's kind of left holding that whole bag. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned that because it is the month of May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. We do, obviously, with Death by Suicide attached to this article, we do want to give our condolences to family and friends of this individual. We'll definitely be adding them to our prayers. We cannot say that, you know, we understand what they're going through. You can never truly understand and experience that, but we will put them in our prayers. And I did want to highlight some resources for anyone listening. There is the Farm State of Mind by American Farm Bureau. There is the Do More Ag Foundation. There's also Psychology Today, which helps you find therapists in your area. And then I'm going to give a shout out to my dear friend, Ashley Machado, because she is a mental health therapist and she is in agriculture. So if you uh, are looking for someone to, you know, seek trust in and counsel from and you're in agriculture and you would feel more comfortable doing that with someone who understands your industry, Ashley is going to be the girl for you. Her and her husband um, have a dairy calf farm in California, and um, I cannot say enough good things about her. So her Instagram handle is by Ashley Machado. And then she also has a website, ashleymachado.com, that we will link in the show notes. So going back to the article, this is not the first time this has happened. Correct. Especially at this grandest scale. So how long ago was the Easter Day scheme in Colorado? The Easter Day scheme was in Washington, I believe. Um, You're right. I think Washington. Yes, it was in Washington. I want to say that was about three years ago. And, you know, you... These schemes, these schemes happen on a much smaller level quite often, actually. Um, seems like there's one, one or two a year that pop up, you know, just maybe on a pen of cattle or a couple pens of cattle. But it can be, um, you know, not to this scale, but still really devastating for the people that are involved. And so... So let's dive into that for a second. One thing about these making the news like this, it does highlight or raise concerns about... I guess the vulnerability. Do you think there needs to be better oversight or regulation for these kind of things to happen? Or do you think it's impossible to do that? And this is just part of, I guess, the the way the industry's built. Well, you didn't really give me a chance to prep for a question like this. <laughs> I mean, I think I think the ag industry is... Well, if you would have read the article and listened to our podcast. <laughs> I think the ag industry, most of the people involved in ag are so trusting, almost to a fault, obviously, like in a situation like this. I think brand laws are also important. You know, if if those cattle were branded, say you were in a brand area and those cattle were branded and you, this guy says you own 10,000 cattle and you have your brand on 10,000 animals, then those are your animals. And you could go to any feed yard there where they were supposed to be placed and you could see your actual animals. So I don't know that we, you know, need to have a government oversight in there trying to regulate that. I feel like you're always that. against any addition of government over, like... 
policy, government dictation into the food supply chain, or at least ours, like the beef industry. Kind of, yes. <laughs> why Why not? Yeah, we're the government. We're here to help. <laughs> yeah, it's going to go good. But I mean, it's, it's, at the end of the day, the people that are investing that money, you know, if you have if you have that many millions of dollars invested, I think I'd probably be checking on it every once in a while. Well, so that was kind of the thing. They said, the article quoted that he told investors they get 30% return. And it quoted that they were, it was just more borrowed money. So no one was really catching on to this, which is why it went on for, you know, six years. And then there was a bank mentioned, Rabo Agrofinance, that would be a bank, right? It's a big, yeah, it's a big, uh, they, they do a lot of um, feedlot financing. And they said they were just, as of April, just starting to get suspicious. So clearly he was pretty good. He, at I mean, it. well, he was returning money. So, I mean, it's, you know, he's running it well, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that it's easy to do this because of how fragmented the beef industry is? Yeah, that helps a lot. And, you know, they were really spread out from Kentucky all the way to Texas. So, I mean, it wasn't just one little local, you know, local deal. Um, all I can say personally is if you're consistently getting 30% return on your money in the beef industry, <laughs> it's probably something's a little fishy because... I've never come close to that consistently. Okay, so earlier you had mentioned that there are these, I guess, protection laws. The article, One of the articles I was reading talked about a provision of the Packers and Stockyards Act of 1921 and that that would kind of maybe protect. Yeah, should protect or could protect these these individuals that, that thought they had this these cattle. So the Packers and Stockyards, it, it does protect producers from – uh, livestock sellers, or I mean, those people are supposed to be bonded, um, and there's there's rules in place that that help them. I'm not for sure how this is going to be classified. I'm sure that's why people are turning in their claims. You know, it'll probably be court, and and things will you know proof will need to be made, and it'll probably be kind of a drawn long drawn out, drawn out process. But I also read that you only have so many days to turn in a claim, which is I'm seems sure. stressful. Do you think it's weird that a law or an act from 1921 could protect us now? Do you feel like there should? Is that kind of mind blowing or no? I think the I think that the I'm sure there's been amendments to it and they've been changed. Is just in 1921 they realized we have to do something in this area, and so they created this this first act, and then we have used it since. I've I've used it personally. I mean, there's there's times in the cattle industry a situation here or there, and um, you can fall back on it, and it it works. So. I didn't know that. Yep. It's a story for another time. Okay, another podcast. Does that mean you want to come on another one? No. Oh, <laughs> Lucas. All right, we'll move into uh, our second article. Title, What a Girl's Goat Teaches Us About Our Food. This is a story of a nine-year-old girl and the goat she loved, but it's also the story of hard hearts and broken hearts, of county fairs and lost innocence. Finally, because of the political power of America's agribusiness and meat industries, it is the story of a dead goat. <laughs> Sorry. That's kind of funny. Uh, I've had broken hearts and lost instances at county fairs as well. Um, a time for another story for yes. another podcast as well. So this was not actually a news article. This was another, well, actually it was kind of, it was a meld between, I would say, a news article and an expose piece. It was in the New York Times was an opinion article and it was quite the opinion article. I had to read it to you because when I said it to you on the phone, you couldn't actually, because you have, you have to pay for New York Times subscription. This is a problem Tara and I had. She used to have to read it to me because I didn't want to pay for New York Times and then I finally paid and now I'm getting the brunt end full circle. Mm -hmm. What goes around comes around. Mm -hmm. 
And when I got done reading it to you, because it's fairly long, and I'll summarize it for you guys in a second. It's fairly long, and it is extreme. Or how would you describe it? Yeah, I mean, it's. I would say the the writer definitely had their opinion and tried to tie in, uh, you know, an event with one nine year old girl at a county fair to ag production across the United States, and also tie in why the fact that she's vegetarian. So it was actually he. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's a male writer. Well, I guess I assumed wrong. Uh-huh. Okay, I'll give you guys a brief background on the article. So it takes place in California, and it essentially focuses on this young, uh, fairly young, I would say maybe like a for sure elementary school age child. Nine. Oh, you remember that? Said it in the title. Oh. Oh, yeah, right there in my notes. <laughs> um, she is, I would classify her as removed from agriculture. Wouldn't you assume they were part of 4-H? You know what assuming gets you? (laughs) Okay. She has this goat and she goes to the fair. She shows it all summer long. And at the end of the summer, if you're in 4-H, you know that fair requires you to give up your goat or any animals for meat afterwards. She didn't want to. The mom didn't make her. So what they did was actually take this goat and almost like run. Yeah. They ran and tried to hide it so that she could keep this goat. Well, then the fair board or fair personnel, I don't exactly know who within the fair, called the authorities and got the police involved to go retrieve this goat. And then it ends with this guy basically talking about how big, bad industrial ag is, factory farming, and that we shall be vegetarians. Yes. So. You were a 4-H kid. I was a 4-H kid. Loved 4-H. I kind of could relate to this nine-year-old girl. My first calf was Herman and I got him from my grandpa and he was a big old steer. He weighed like 1500 pounds at County fair. And he was the, just the most gentle calf in the world. I could catch him, lead him all anywhere all summer long. I led Herman around and it was just great. Did you pick Herman? The name? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Maybe oh. Pee Wee Herman. I was watching <laughs> at the time or something. <laughs> okay. Carry on. I mean, this is 1992, you know, Pee Wee uh, Herman's probably pretty cool. Trending. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I remember same thing. I showed him and then he had to go to slaughter. And I just remember like being so sad and laying and Herman to let me lay on him. I was laying on his back and I was just crying, you know, and my parents obviously tried to help me and they just basically explained the production cycle of cattle. I was kind of like, well, it does make sense. You know, then next year I got another calf, you know, and sometimes you have to just learn the purpose of the animal and, and the production cycle and, and how agriculture works. And it's a small kind of microcosm of that. Well, you said that when I got done reading the article. First, you said, wow. And then you said, let's cover this one because that's part of what say, ag- ranching or ag is, is ag- learning to let go. Yeah. Yeah, you have to. And then there's another, there's another, there's another year. There's another cycle. There's another crop. Rebirth. And yes. Also, I would say huge parenting fail by these people. So that was my question, actually. Who do you think has the most blame in this? Is it the fair for kind of going to the extreme and like demanding that they hand in this goat? Because the fair could have like turned a blind eye and been like, okay, whatever. And this would not be trending and in the news as it is. Could be the parent, you know, the parent could have done what, you know, your parents did and explained that this is what happens. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of places to kind of point to where it could have been a different story if people had acted differently. If you want to be involved in agriculture or in 4-H and you want to keep your animal, then show a breeding animal and you get to take you got to take your project back home. So, I mean, they could have they could have just showed a breeding goat 
and taken the goat home when they were done and it wouldn't have been a problem. I mean, I understand why the fair went through with it because if they just allowed everybody to do that, you know, these market animals wouldn't be for market and then they could go on to the next show and the next show and the next show. And there has to be, there has to be a time that, you know, that animal is put through the system. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little extreme measures, but I, I just think the parents could have done something in front of it to, to prevent that by just paying attention when they entered the goat and then to drive the goat 500 miles away to try and hide and protect it, I think, versus just having a conversation with your child is uh, kind of crazy to me. We love having conversations with our children. Yes, we do. <laughs> they don't love having conversations with us. So I thought the CEO of the fair had a really good response. It was kind of in line with what you've been saying. She said, the fair industry is set up to teach our youth responsibility and for the future generations of ranchers and farmers to learn the process and effort it takes to raise quality meat. Yeah. And, and, and with a meat project, I mean, you get the carcass data back. You get all of the kill information and the economics and that's what really ties it all together. And so if that's not what they wanted for their daughter then they shouldn't have entered their daughter in that project. It makes me, it does make me wonder if they knew that if they were properly informed of you have two options. One is a breeding option. You know, one is a meat option. This is what path a looks like. This is what path B looks like. Or if they kind of just went out, picked the cutest goat and it ended up being a meat goat. And then they found themselves where they were. Maybe. (laughs) Which the thing I love about 4-H and FFA is that anyone can do it, right? You don't have to be tied to agriculture. I think they're great programs for youth to, especially if you are removed from the industry, to get involved, feel a part of it, learn about it. I think, you know, we don't have anything better for our youth in those two organizations. But I do see how letting any, I mean, this is a perfect example of how letting anyone in that doesn't fully understand the process, how it can kind of blow up in your face. Yep, absolutely. No, I think I think 4-H is great. I saw, I don't know if it was just a, a quote or whatever they day and said, sometimes everybody thinks that the animal is the project, but at the end of the day, the kid's the project, you know, and there's a lot of things that are learned in 4-H and responsibility and taking care of animals and all of those things. And then they get to participate in events and in their fun, fun social events and real communities. They're really, really good. And yeah. I mean, it's kind of a tough situation, but I think in the end, I really think the fair did the right thing. So here's a big, broad question for you. I, believe that one of the problems lending to situations like this is the humanification. I don't think that's a word, but (laughs) applying human characteristics to animals. Yeah. Disney shows talking about the goat as a pet, you know, talking about happy cows, right? When commercials, commercials talk about happy cows make happy milk. And these, when we take human traits, feelings, emotions, all of these things and place them on animals, are we doing a disservice to our youth by raising them that way from kind of the, I don't want to say like the harsh reality of the world. Cause I don't, I don't see it as harsh. I think when you recognize the cycle of the world, you appreciate it, but I, I don't think we're doing a good job to show that to our youth. In fact, I think we're doing the opposite. We're highlighting animals in a pet human way. All animals. Yes. 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 I mean, this article talked about the line we draw between farm animals and our pet dogs and cats saying it's an arbitrary one. Um, the, the author talked about when he raised pigs, he found them to have stronger personalities than many human beings. Geese, he says, mate for life and are devoted and supportive partners, making them the most admirable creatures. I mean, dialogue like that for youth, I can see how they get this idea that, you know, raising animals for meat consumption makes 
us bad or, you know, that is bad. Yep. And that's obviously the opinion of, you know, this writer. And I suppose that's why they chose to go their direction with their diet and their beliefs. And, you know, they're, they're a small percentage of the small percentage of the world, but um, I guess they have their, I guess they have the right to that. So the last thing I'll bring up with this, because I know Tara would be bringing it up because she, it was probably the first thing that would have been out of her mouth with this article is she would have had to highlight some of the atrocious and outlandish sentences and statements the author put at the end. He has that this is the truth that the industrial agriculture tries to hide, talking about beasts raised in barns. One that really stood out to me was abuse one animal and you can be charged with a felony, but abuse a million and you have a business model. Do you have, since you're a first-time guest on the Discover Ag podcast, Tara and I talk about this a lot, though, you know, this idea of big, bad ag, bigger is worse, factory farms, kind of those things. What what do you have for our listeners tuning in today about that? As being an ag production, my whole life being around animals, I mean, I never want to abuse an animal. We have lots and lots of cows. I never want to abuse one. I never want them to be in a bad situation personally, just because I care for them. I'm a caretaker of them. And also financially, I mean, they don't do well when they're when they're not uh, well cared for when they're being abused, which so it's not rampant. It doesn't occur that often. I just do you feel like it's silly we have to talk about this? Yeah, it kind of is. But it's not going to go away, though. Like more and more people are being further removed from the from agriculture. It's going to be another generation here before long. It's going to be four generations on average that people are away from agriculture and people are not going to understand it. And with writers like this, it's going to continue to reinstate that in people's minds. And so it's something that we're going to have to constantly revisit. And it's crazy. I mean, ag is such a huge business in the world. And then people eat every single day. And the amount of education that we have about agriculture for most people, it's so tiny. And I just feel like, you know, we learn about, you know, I don't know, World War II, but we don't learn anything about ag. Like, I mean... They're, they're, trigonometry. Yeah, trigonometry. Like, <laughs> I haven't used trig, you know, for a while or calculus <laughs> or, you know, and I mean, it probably should be more of a, just a standard curriculum thing in high school and general education. It's funny you say that because if we were having this conversation out of any other context, I'd say, well, of course, there's always 4-H and FFA, but here we are. 4-H actually didn't do what it was supposed to do in this case, which would, you know, be educate and make people feel more connected, that family, more yep. connected to the food system and understanding it. Well, they understand it now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is the point in the podcast when we remind everyone that we do a giveaway and encourage everyone to share. I didn't discover know you guys ag. did a giveaway. Do you want to give a plug, dear, to listen to the podcast? That you could potentially win something? Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't have one. Have one. You use your notes and then I'll go from there. Everyone tuning in today, we would love if as you guys were listening, you would give us a social share or leave us a review. Subscribe. No. I think you can subscribe. I actually don't really know. You can, an Apple, you follow. Follow or subscribe. Yeah. Click below. No. No. But share. Share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Because at the end of the month, we pick one person who does so and we send them a Discover Ag swag bag, which we do fill with really cool goods from small makers. Lots of times they're people who are listening right now. We have jewelry from someone in New York that's listening. Uh, we've talked about last week, we talked about the beef tallow for skincare. We're maybe going to put some of those in there. So we do make it a really cool gift bag um, for you guys for listening and just thanking you guys for sharing Discover Ag. All right, our last and final title, Taco Bell, Cargill, and the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation 
partner to restore habits and expand sustainable farming practices in beef supply chain. With bold ambitions to operate 10,000 restaurants in the coming years, Taco Bell acknowledges its responsibility to balance global expansion with intentional impact. In pursuit of parent company Yum! Brands' broader climate efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by nearly 50% by 2030, Taco Bell is taking bigger steps to improve the environmental effects of its supply chain, especially for one of its top-selling ingredients. Taco Bell is now partnering with longtime supplier Cargill and the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation to implement conservative and regenerative agriculture practices across cattle grazing lands. Take it away, Kaborik. Why'd you choose this one? Um, I got a little axe to grind, maybe. Ooh, grind away. I just, I feel like, you know, like we were just talking before, are we going to keep talking about this? Are we going to keep talking about all these major companies and investing in sustainability. And I think, you know, Walmart's trying to tie themselves to sustainable beef and Taco Bell and Cargill are doing this. And, and I, I'm sure you could find a list of other companies that actually to cut you (laughs) off Nestle in March, 2023 is partnering with um, the NFWF and Cargill in 2022, Burger King was doing it with Cargill. Like Cargill has done this with multiple food chains just within the last year. So even going back multiple years, it like you said, it's very um, not new. Yes, it's not new. And I just, I, I, I think it is much more of a marketing advertising scheme than an actual um, offsetting their, their global, their, their impact and offsetting food's impact on, um, climate change or greenhouse gas emissions or what have you. Okay. So Tara and I, a while back actually talked about PepsiCo cause they were partnering to do it's this. almost like Tara's here as much as <laughs> Natalie says, Tara and I, so I don't remember the amount pledged then, but in this, this instance, this uh, article, they are doing two, they're allocating 2 million and then we'll leverage up to 2 million in federal funds for a combined total of 4 million. And over you, the next four years. Yes. So a million a year. So in the grand scheme of how much Cargill, Taco Bell, their worth, their value, do you think, think to what you're saying, a million isn't very much if absolute, they were absolutely like an, very interested. It's an in absolute this. joke. I looked up Taco Bell's revenue in 2022. Look at you doing homework. Well, I'm just trying to do that. And I haven't done the math, but they, in 2022, they made 13 point revenue was 13.2 billion dollars. So over the next four years, that's going to be 54 billion dollars, and they're going to give four million. Mm-hmm. That's less than going to be less than a tenth of a percent of their revenue. They're really, really trying hard for sustainability by giving less than a tenth of a percent. I just totally, I, I just don't buy it at all. So I do want to highlight how good farmers and ranchers are at math. I feel like it is your guys' superpower skill. I've never met a farmer rancher that couldn't just rattle off numbers, calculations in their head really quickly in the middle of like normal discussion. Because if they can't, they're not going very, very good at farming and ranching. Okay. So you don't sit in an auction and do a calculator. I would. You just do it in your head. I'd have a big old one out there. Like the one you ordered in the mail. (laughs) That's for long stuff. (laughs) 13 times four is not that hard, Natalie. (laughs) Okay. So my next question then, do you think as agriculture, because we are an industry that is severely lacking in funds, should we just be happy that we're getting this then? Or should we demand more? I I don't know that 
But I really feel like these companies are riding the backs of people that are doing it. So, so they, they want their picture. They want a couple of families. They want a plot. Um, you know, if they're partying with, with a wildlife thing, you know, is it going to be one little area, one little tiny section within a county, not even the state or the country or the world. So I guess I don't know. I, I mean, $4 million is not very much in agriculture. It's a very, very small, very, very tiny. It's just ridiculously small. So the, I just think it's just a complete marketing headline. They got their headline that they wanted. There'll be some pretty pictures and there'll be some cool stuff that they'll do with it. And it's part of their advertising budget, a very small part of their advertising budget instead of those terrible commercials they put on TV. And that's it. So what do you think um, needs to change about this then? Right. Because we need food production. Sure. We need food production, but I don't know. I mean, we, so, I mean, farmers and ranchers, obviously, you don't need to have a system that is sustainable, a system that lasts for ag production, for their family, for the next generation, the next generation. I don't think $4 million over the next four years from Taco Bell is going to help that at all. I think it's going to be much more government policy on crop insurance things. Uh, there, there's incentives, other you know programs, CSPs, those kinds of things um, that are going to come or just the markets that is going to affect production and what we do and how we do it. So details on this program, in case you guys are interested, ranchers, as they, uh, if they're looking to seek and implement regenerative agricultural practices, can submit applications starting from May 4th until August 3rd, with the project to start in 2024. The program will impact a vast region stretching from the Colorado Rockies to the Great Basin and seven states, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, Oregon, Utah, and Wyoming. So they're going to do it in beautiful places. <laughs> for the pictures for the pictures yeah no i do think that's because oops i deleted my note i do think that's because they're focusing on grasslands it was a grasslands initiative yeah i don't have a problem with uh wildlife foundations or federations or pheasants forever or all those kinds of things doing habitat and taking care of the lands i don't have a problem with that i don't have a problem with the helping of that i don't have a problem with research of that i just have a problem with a company trying to paint themselves as the leader of that or the um, spearheading that for, you know, reducing their global impact for the amount of food that they serve. It's interesting too, because earlier you had mentioned that they're riding the backs of agriculture to do this. I don't understand how people have missed that ag is blamed for a lot of things, but yet we are the, the imperative and important piece of the puzzle when it comes to these initiatives and solutions. It it's yeah. such a disconnect between the two. It Cargill and Taco Bell could not part with anyone else to make this title, this headline, this claim, right. paint this picture you want to. They know they need ag, that we are the missing piece of the puzzle of improving grasslands, soil, carbon reduction, carbon sequestration, all, all of, of those things. All of it. It is agriculture. But on the same breath, you can flip or scroll to the next article. The New York Times. And ag is blamed. Yep. The, I just don't understand the disconnect. I think we're just all too nice in ag. We just sit there and just take beatings and keep on going. That's it? <laughs> Pretty much. That's, what it <laughs> that's feels. how you feel beaten that, down. That's how it feels. 
Maybe it's just because I'm so tired. <laughs> Sleep deprived. Yes. At first I was kind of, this is the first time I had seen the Fish and Wildlife Foundation mentioned in the a title, but apparently they're fairly involved with a lot of these initiatives. Yeah, they must be. I don't know. Um, Which I thought it was neat that Fish and Wildlife was involved in it. Yeah. A lot of times I just see the you know, Burger King or Cargill claiming that they're working with agriculture and there's not yep. that third party. I also thought this one was kind of interesting that they were talking, it gave a little bit more specifics about the grants and applications and what it would be applied for. Whereas other articles I had read, I feel like it's more, more PR. What you say it is basically yeah. we're putting in usually has a claim of how much money they're putting in. And then it has a claim about how many um, carbon dioxide equivalents that that is equal to. And, and this article did it. It said the efforts are expected to sequester up to 44,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide per year in 2030. What does that mean? Great question. <laughs> like, is it even big? I don't, who knows? <laughs> if it only costs $4 million, I don't think it's probably, probably very not. big. Oh, I hate to be so cynical though, because again, I do believe in the agriculture industry as like a key solution I to do, this. I do, but that's not, that's the point is that they're piggybacking us. But how do we change that? Can't and don't. There's no hope. That's the life of a, <laughs> the life of a rancher and farmer. All right. What do you have to say about your first experience on the discover podcast? Um, is it fun? Yeah, it's kind of fun. I guess I'd rather want to listen to it first. And you always kind of—that's a start. <laughs> I might listen to this one. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I'm a big comment reader, so if anybody wants to comment, uh, do you want to thank everyone for tuning in? And they haven't tuned in yet, but Th yes, yeah. If you tune in, thanks. Um, <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We will see you guys next week. Oh, 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 oh,